Working drummer. Now kick it. This is the Working Drummer Podcast, serving up perspectives, experiences, and stories from ground-level working pros. Advice, tips, and secrets on how to build a career in the music business. Hey everyone, this is Zach Albetta, and welcome to Working Drummer Podcast. My guest this week is Evan Pazner, drummer for Lee Fields and the Expressions, and probably the most New York cat we've ever had on the podcast. Evan was born and raised in Manhattan, attended NYU and the New School, and with the exception of a brief detour to Boston, he has spent his entire adult life living and working in New York City. Lee Fields and the Expressions are the most authentic soul band I've ever seen. Lee is in his 60s and has been doing it since the 1960s, and uh, Evan has been the touring drummer for the band for the last six years. Before we get to that, we want to let you know that we've just launched a Patreon campaign for Working Drummer Podcast at patreon.com slash working drummer. This allows you, the listener, to contribute a little money each month to help support the podcast if you see fit. You can donate as much or as little as you feel comfortable with, and we have some great incentives for different levels of donation, including some cool swag, t-shirts and stickers featuring our new logo, access to bonus content on our website, free video lessons with one of our past guests, such as Ben Caesar, Wes Little, or Carter McLean, or the chance to be interviewed and featured on a Working Drummer podcast episode. Everyone who donates, that's everyone, even if you donate $1 a month, will be entered to win a great package from Innovative Percussion, which includes 18 pairs of sticks, two pairs of bundles rods, two Chris McHugh signature bass drum beaters, and a huge deluxe stick bag. So a big thank you to Innovative Percussion and to those past guests offering lessons for helping us out with this, and a big thank you in advance to you for your support. So where do you go to find a treasure trove of information about vintage drums, custom drums, and legendary drummers? NotSoModernDrummer.com Since 1988, Not So Modern Drummer is an institution dedicated to researching and documenting the history of modern drums, the art of drum building, and the legendary drummers who play them. The writers and contributors are some of the top vintage and custom drum experts from around the world. Not So Modern Drummer serves as an online gathering place and marketplace for the worldwide community of drummers who buy and sell, collect, preserve, and play these instruments. It also hosts drum-related events that are attended by drummers from all over the world. This website is easy and fun to explore, and the monthly digital magazine subscription is free. So check out NotSoModernDrummer.com. So here we go with Evan Pazner. He had some great things to say about his time at the New School and how it changed the mental game for him behind the kit, uh, what it's like to play in a straight-up old-school soul band, and the never-ending roller coaster that is life in New York City. Hope you dig it. Start by telling people about Lee Fields, which is kind of your current gig, right? Right, yeah. Yeah. Uh, how long have you been doing that? Uh, about six years, maybe. That long? Wow. Yeah, yeah it's been a minute. And it's a, it's a lot of touring just off and on, right? Exactly, yeah. It'll be anywhere from month-long runs to just one-nighters, you know what I mean? Yeah. And um, he's got a new record that just came out in, I guess, November. Mm-hmm. So now it's there's a you know the push is on. So since since December, it's been pretty busy. You know we're in and out of town quite a bit, and um, you know we're in Europe. We were in Europe in January, and then a whole bunch of U.S. stuff sort of in and out, and getting ready to go to um, South America in a couple of weeks. But that's wow. 
that's like only for like a week. Right. But that'll be that'll be cool, and then uh, back out to Europe in July. So you know, yeah, it's been pretty busy. Um, and yeah, I started doing it six years ago. Um, Lee Fields, for anyone who doesn't know who he is, he's just an amazing old school soul singer. He's he's in his sixties now, but he's been doing it since the sixties. Really, you know, the yeah. real deal. Yeah. And, um, he's just amazing. And, you know, his story, uh, he's North Carolina native, but he's lived in Jersey for a long time mm-hmm. and, um, was making records, um, all throughout. And then this, uh, record label that is putting his stuff out now, now it's called big crown before it was called truth and soul. Hmm. Um, they've, you know, they started hooking up with him. I don't know. It was a little before I came on. So maybe, you know, 10 years ago or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and before that he was working with the Desco people, which is the, the, um, Daptone guys. Right. Right. So that's, it's sort of all part of that crew. And, um, the story as I heard it is they basically called him up. They basically looked him up in the phone book cause they all loved his 45s and yeah. they basically looked him up in the phone book and he was in Jersey and they were like, you want to make records. And so, you know, he was into it. So they started doing it. And this is now the, fourth record i guess excuse me that they um that they put out on their on their label so but like i said it was truth and soul now it's called big crown out of new york right right and um he's just phenomenal i mean for me i came on the gig so the original drummer is um homer steinweiss who's the he was the dab king's drummer right and um just phenomenal drummer and and he was very busy at the time with sharon jones so he wasn't able to do all the touring. So I started subbing for him mm-hmm. and then Sharon got very busy and, um, he couldn't really, he really couldn't commit to any of it. So I just started, I did almost all of that touring Wow. starting at that point and, um, was really fortunate to get to hook up into that at that point. Cause it's just been a great, a great ride and it's a great gig, you know, super fun. And the players are all great. And Lee is, really phenomenal yeah i mean he's he's really a force of nature i i mean the 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 reason you and i met is because lee fields played in atlanta um i played with ruby bell and the sulfonics opening up for lee um so so that's how you and i met and i got to see lee's set obviously and and i'd never seen anything like it it was it was like watching an old james brown video or but in person absolutely Uh, yeah (laughs) You know, and, 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 you know, I mean, and certainly there's the parallels there without a doubt. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think of James, obviously, I think of Otis Redding a lot when I listen mm-hmm. to him, especially yeah. when he sings, when he sings the ballads. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's also obviously bringing his own thing to it. And, and one thing I really love about playing in that, in that band is that, and with that, or with Lee is it's, it's almost all original music. Right. Right. You know, we have, we have cover tunes that we play and cycle in and out of the set, but especially when we're like now at the beginning of a record cycle, we're almost playing exclusively original songs, mm-hmm. which certainly are in the vein and in the style of all those people we're mentioning, but it's original stuff. So it's, it's coming from an, it's new as well. So right. I, I, I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like a soul review. You know what I mean? Right. It's, a, it's not, it's, it's not under glass in a museum. It's still being created and still being pushed forward. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so, were so, you were, were you on the last record? 
No, so the way that they do it mostly, they, they you know, it's these guys. It's uh, so Homer's the drummer, mm-hmm. and there's a few other guys who are sort of in house, and they will do most of the record, most of the recording will be those guys, and then there's a touring band, right? Um, that's that's so, the way it's going nowadays. I think. For- I mean, I think it makes sense for for a lot of reasons. I mean, obviously, I'd love to play on. I would love to play on it. Right. That would be that would be cool. But it's it's you know that's what it is. It's a it's a that's part of the gig. Well, why why does it make sense? I think it makes sense for them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. They're it's all in house. They're writing the music together. They they're all sharing. They have a this great studio out in uh, Queens mm-hmm. where they're making the music and. And rather than bring everybody in and scheduling and all that stuff, I think it just makes more sense for them to yeah. do it this way. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, right. that's, but like you said, I think it's not uncommon, and and I don't think it's I don't think it's un, I think it's something that's been going on for a long time. Also, I mean, you, yeah. these guys are they're not just making Lee Fields records. I mean, I know they're making all kinds of music. So, going out on the road is not something that they're trying to do as much. Mm-hmm. They're trying to stay here and and do the record label thing and. You know, we yeah. get to go out on the road and, and, and sell it, which is also fun. Right, cool with me. Right, yeah. Um, so so when you started doing this gig, um, just just from a stylistic and musical point of view, was was this something that you were already really into and well versed in, or was this something you had to kind of study up on? Both. I mean it's certainly <laughs> something you know what I mean? Good like, answer. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, you know, just in general, you're always trying to keep up and learn new things, of course, but for me, the interesting part about this gig was that I was a much different kind of player on the other gigs I was doing. Certainly at the time, like six years ago or whatever, I was pretty busy on this on the sort of singer-songwriter scene mm-hmm. in New York City and playing in smaller rooms mm-hmm. and playing, having to play kind of quietly and right. you know try to figure out a way to play with intensity, but not necessarily a lot of volume, Yeah, which was an interesting challenge. And I still like to play that way when, I, when the gig calls for it. But then the Lee gig, I mean, the way Homer plays, he's a very strong player. Mm-hmm. And it was almost sort of like I had to learn or teach myself some a new technique yeah. in order to sort of play with that kind of projection and, and make sure I was supporting him, Lee, and the band the way that it needed to happen. So... I almost had to sort of study the way that he was playing and the and the the style of you know not, and again not necessarily that older style although that was something that I love and have studied a lot of mm-hmm. it was studying this particular gig and that particular kind of playing and it was interesting for me because it was I think it was one of the first times I'd been hired to do a gig where it was sort of in the beginning anyway it wasn't necessarily like they were hiring me to be me they were like you need to come and do this gig and learn how to play it this way. Right, right. Which was like, interesting. I was like, okay, I, I can, you know, all right, let's do it. And yeah. it was, and it's been cool. And it's so like, for instance, it's a lot of like very, it's a lot of rim shot. It's just like play yeah. hard, Yeah. you know, make sure that that is there all the time. And Lee likes it like that too. He really wants to hear that, that snare drum and that bass drum right behind him. Yeah. Yeah, you know, so that's that. You know, it's good. That's and the game. The, like I, I've I've had a similar experience in terms of the the intensity, like the physical intensity with with which you play. Um, I, I play in this band called Delta Moon, and um, it's like a like a blues blues rock roots band based in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
we did a we did a gig one time and and for some reason that day like i i had decided to just like not not dig in so much not hit so hard let let the mics do some of the work um and after sound check tom the the lead singer came up to me he was like man hit the shit out of that snare drum i need that i like so it, yeah. it wasn't a volume thing it was just the intensity like the the vibe that comes from the physical intensity of really digging in. Right. Um, and it's also, but it's also an interesting thing technique wise, like how to get that sound. Yes. Because if you're, if you're really like pushing the stick into the head, it's going to kill the tone. Right. Right. So there's something about that. And actually uh, a friend of mine in New York's guy named Tony Mason is great, great drummer um, who I spent some time just talking to this about this specifically, you know, or not, well, yeah, we talked about this, but also just technique in general. Mm -hmm. We talked about the idea of just sort of playing almost, almost through the drum, if that makes sense. Like you, you, that's a little bit hard to articulate now that I'm trying to say it, but you know, you don't want to mash the stick in there to get, you know, that volume. I mean, you will get some volume if you do that, but like I say, you're going to just squash the tone, right? So you need to, make sure there's some resonance there at the same time. It's a, it's a, it's a difficult thing. You have to just sort of play with it and figure out how it's going to sound good. You also don't want the snare drum barking, you know, I mean, it's going to, you can get like a harsh sound also, which is not pleasing to anybody. Right. Right. So, you know, yeah. Like I, so yeah, teaching, learning how to play like that was a, a, it was good. And actually it's helped me in some other gigs that I've done too, because I think in general, not just because of the gigs I did before, but I don't think I'm a particularly hard, or loud player, I should say. Right. So, and sometimes even when I think I'm playing super loud, people will be like, man, you know, like, man, you're so, you're, you know, you're so sensitive. And I'm like, oh, I'm trying to play hard. Yeah, yeah. I'm beating the shit out of everything. Don't, don't you hear that? I've, I've had the exact same experience because like I, you know, his, historically I have not been a heavy player. Um, it's only in the last couple of years that I've really, you know, had to or, or chosen to you know, muscle up and, and really dig in. But yeah, I've had the same experience where I'll, I'll think that I'm like just really getting after it. And, and somebody's like, yeah, man, really sensitive. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's like, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's always going to be that, right. Whatever you're trying to do, someone's going to come up and tell you, Oh man, it's the opposite. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so it, it sounds like, uh, at, at least in the beginning of Lee's gig, you, you know, you, you weren't hired because they wanted you to do what you wanted. You were hired because they knew that you could do what they wanted. Um, I think so. Yeah. I mean, right. And I had some connections with those guys, you know, my brother, actually, you might've met him. He's on the gig. Right. I did meet him. He's, he's the keyboard player. And a lot of those guys, so my brother's a bit younger than me and all of those guys that I was talking about are his buddies growing up. So I knew them. You know, we all kind of—I mean, I'm older, but we all kind of knew each other growing up, mm-hmm. and that was my initial sort of into that scene, which was also, again, just fortunate and lucky to be there. Yeah, and um, yeah, and that was it. It was like we need—they needed somebody to help fill in when he couldn't do the gigs, and and um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So over the, over the six years you've been doing it, have you have you found some more latitude in the gig musically to to put your personal stamp on it, or or have you had to just kind of toe the line and and do what Homer did and do the what the drummers before him going back to the '60s have done? Again, I think the answer is both. I mean, you know, you're always trying to stay true to the records and try and and in the style. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, certainly, certainly, and this is also back to the style and to the to the history of, you know, it's not a lot of fills. 
Right. You know, that it's not, it's not, uh, I mean, sometimes it can be busy mm -hmm. depending on what the groove is, but it's not, you know, we're all, everybody, that's not just the drums, everybody, it's Lee is the show. Right. Right. And the band is, we're all playing our asses off definitely, but it's, it's a show, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And there's, there's, there's variation from night to night in certain ways, but it's, it's not, a, it's not a jazz gig, you know, it's not a lot of improvising. Right. Um, and it's fairly constrained. So that's the, that's the thing. And then, uh, but to answer your question also, I mean, yeah, the, you add your own style to it. It's certainly no matter what I did, I'm not going to be Homer or, right. or any of those other guys, you know what I mean? I'm going to be me and it's going to sound like me. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, and the live show also evolves over time. Mm -hmm. You know, certain things work, certain things don't. You know, you tweak tempos. You there's a lot of um, like uh, interludes in between songs that we might come up with while we're on the road. You know, right. or you know, things to bring Lee up for the encores, and you know, and then if they're a lot of times if we do add cover songs, there are instrumentals. Right. Okay. You know, so we'll work those things out as a band, you know, mm -hmm. sometimes on the road for in soundcheck, sometimes before we go out. And, um, so there is variation there and yeah, you, I've, you know, you add your own stamp to it as you, you know, as you see appropriate. Yeah. And as I'm, as I'm thinking about it, I would imagine that, that all of the guys in the band, no matter what instrument they play would have a similar answer to you be because of the way, like in that, in that style, the way, you know, all the all the members of a band interlock, you know, to create, like you said, a thing for for Lee to be on top of. Right. Um, yeah. Like a comment we get a lot of times is like, "Man, you guys, you don't look like you're having any fun up there," you know, because you're, you know, we're not like yucking it up back there, and right. you know, nobody's very extroverted and you know, dancing, and you know, there's the the key the the bass player and the guitarist and the and the horn players who are on the other side, they'll do, they'll sort of step, they sort of step back and forth as they play. Right. But that's a part of the show. Sometimes people don't understand. Like, that's the gig. That's the idea. It's like, we're going to play and we're going to be more or less in the background right. so that, you know, the focus is on Lee because he's really what's going on. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, I think you're right. I mean, certainly all the parts are, are very specific. And and it does all lock together. Certainly within the, the rhythm section, you know, a lot of the songs are, you know, very locked in as far as I'm mean, like any like anything, I'm you know, guitar and the bass and the drums and the keyboards. Um, you know, we all have parts that lock together and in order for it to really sound good, everybody's gotta be yeah playing their parts. Right. You know. Right. And then there'll be sections to step out for, you know, for the soloists, but mostly mostly it's like that. So you were born and raised in New York City. Yep, that's right. That's you're you're the first cat we've talked to, I think, who is who is born, raised, educated, and still living and working in New York City. I interviewed, <laughs> no kidding. Uh, I interviewed Carter McLean uh, oh, yeah. a few episodes ago, and and that was great. He's been there for like fifteen years, or, okay, or more. Um, He's but, killing it. He's oh killing yeah, it. he is killing, <laughs> killing everything. Um, but uh, how, like, how did you? How did you get into the drums in in New York, and and how did early life in New York kind of shape you? Okay, I mean, it's a long it's a long story, I guess. I mean, you know, I think growing up in New York was amazing for me. Mm -hmm. 
And I think in a lot of ways, it's just being lucky to be born here. You know, I mean, my, my folks are not from here, but they moved here, you know, and met here and had their, decided to have their family here. And, and then I had, okay. So to, how did I start playing drums? I guess like a lot of kids, I started playing instruments in, you know, elementary school. Mm-hmm. I actually played clarinet for a while before I played drums, clarinet and <laughs> recorder, right? Like every other kid yeah, yeah. does. And, um, I actually had a buddy of mine who, you know, people starting to learn to play guitar and bass. And this one friend of mine who actually is now the keyboard player in Blondie, which is <laughs> totally coincidence, but that's just the case. That's the guy who kind of got me in. I used to go to his place and he would have, he had a guitar. He was learning to play guitar and, you know, I'm not that old, but it was back in the day where he had like circus magazine and like all those like sort of heavy metal magazines. Right. And we would just like rock out in his room to bizarre, you know, whatever music we were listening to. And he was like, you're going to play drums in my band. And I was like, I was like, okay, that sounds cool. And that was like the idea. So I was like, before I'd even picked up a drumstick, he, that was sort of the idea. And I was, and I got into the, I got into the idea of it before I even did anything. I was like, mm-hmm. that, that sounds like fun. And then I guess, when I was about 11 or 12, I started taking some lessons just in my school. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then it, then the real, like just sort of like lucky part of it happened where not, not only that kid, but some other friends of mine who were all learning to play guitar and bass, uh, we all just started playing together. And, and I think that was really initially what happened was that we just started playing. I, I got a drum kit I was lucky enough living in New York City to be in a in a house like we have. My folks had a, a an old brownstone which had thick brick walls. Oh wow! And even though we were blasting out the sidewalk, every you know you could hear us in the street. But <laughs> for whatever reason, it was never particularly an issue. I'm guessing because it didn't bleed bleed through the walls right. so badly. Right. Um, we used to just come home to my place every day after school and play. Man. And that I think more than anything was just how it worked. You know, like we, that was our thing. Other kids were out skateboarding or hanging out in the park or whatever they were doing. And we just came to my place every day and, and played. And the other thing, so then the next thing that happened was we got a little bit older into like the beginning of high school and we had a band and it was a different time in New York where you know, again, I'm, I'm not that old, but it was like the very end of you call up a place or you look at you look at the address of a club mm-hmm. and you send them a little tape, an audio right. tape. Right. And the booker would call you back or you would call until he picked up the phone <laughs> and they would book a gig based on the, the tape. And we had a pretty cool recording that we did. I mean, I'm sure, I haven't listened to it in a while. I'm sure it's not that great, but it sounded like we could play. Right. And they didn't know that we were 15. Right. Right. You know, so they would book us and then we would go on a Friday night or whatever. And we, and we would show up with, you know, 40 of our high school friends and you, you know, this is like an old time in New York where, you know, you'd sort of see these guys, these bouncers or the bartenders or whatever, like calculating, you know, okay, I could, I could let these kids in here and I might, I might have a big problem or, I could just make some money tonight. And, right, you know, the, the risk-to-reward ratio. <laughs> and I guess, you know, more often than not, they would just let us play and we would take over these these clubs. Oh, my God. You know, for an hour or whatever, for the 45 minutes that we had our, our set. And it right. was 
we did that on a regular basis um, for most that's, of high school. Man, so amazing. that was lucky. You know, we, we not only did we have the sort of desire and, and the, the itch to play mm-hmm. every day and practice, we had an opportunity to do it. And I mean, I have young students now and there's just no opportunity for them to do that. Yeah. It's so difficult. And I think it's maybe for better. I mean, you know, I have young kids now. I'm not sure that I would want them necessarily hanging out in bars with their 14, <laughs> you know, yeah. or maybe they, maybe I would, I don't know, you know, but it's just, it's not like we were getting into too much trouble. We were just playing music, you know right, what I mean? But, right. um, and what, what kind but, of band was that? That was like a, I mean, you know, you gotta you gotta think of the time, right? It was like the mid '90s, so we were sort of doing like a Red Hot Chili Peppers funk thing. We had a there was a whole bunch of guys in in our high school who had like a rap group, so we'd have them come up and do some rap stuff while we played behind them. And we had a singer, yeah, who was actually a phenomenal singer who I ended up playing with for many years after as we got older. Her name was um, Paying Threadgill. Hmm who, if people have heard of Henry Threadgill, he's a very famous jazz saxophonist, flutist, and composer. Mm-hmm. Um, it's his daughter. Okay. And we grew up together. So she was like our singer. And, um, you know, we had actually, towards the end of the band, uh, this saxophone player played with us named Casey Benjamin, who's, many people may have heard of him. He was playing yeah. with Robert Glasper yeah, yeah. for a while. I mean, this is the other thing about growing up in New York, to go back to that question, is that... Um, there's just an amazing amount of talent here. Yeah. You know, and the fact that we, I mean, in, from that band, you know, Casey, the singer, Paying, myself, and one of the guitar players, we're all still working and playing music now. And, mm-hmm. you know, and then of course there's that whole crew of my brother's crew, which is a couple, a few years younger. That's just to name a few people, you know, who came out of this one little scene that I had growing up here that have, continued on as professional musicians it's just i don't know if it has to do with just happenstance or if it's just or it's because of this of the city or whatever it is but there's you know this huge pool of of talent that was around us at that time yeah um really inspiring you were you were kind of on the tail end of of uh new york being what it used to be i mean obviously i don't live there i haven't spent much time there but from from all accounts uh you know up until up until the last 10 or 15 years, New York was a place where artists could be poor and, right. and do their art. And there were places for them to, to do their art. There was an audience for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sounds like you caught, you caught the, the tail end of that. I definitely, it's true. I de- we definitely were there as young kids at the very end of, of that scene of that time, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I think it's a bit of a fallacy that there's, that it's totally gone. Right. I mean, New York is a tough place. It's very expensive. There's mm-hmm. no doubt about that. But there's so much amazing music happening here still. Yeah. Um, you know, that said, I can't really attest to the idea of coming here and trying to make it as an artist because it's home for me. And even when I was even when I was starting out and I didn't have any gigs and I didn't have any money, it was home still. So it was, you know, I didn't necessarily have to scrape in the same way that somebody who's just moving here would have to scrape. I certainly had to scrape for the getting experience and getting gigs and all that stuff. But I, you know, if I was going to like fall on my face, I was going to crawl back home, which was 
you know, 20 blocks from where I was renting an apartment. It wasn't going back to the Midwest. You know what <laughs> right, I mean? So right, right. I was still going to be here. And I've always had, that's a, that's a very, like I said, it's just very fortunate. Yeah. And you were already familiar, like you already had all these childhood friends. You were already familiar with the venues and, and the scene. That's whereas right. somebody, somebody moving to New York in early adulthood or moving to any city, you know, kind of has to spend some time building out that, that social and professional infrastructure and just figuring out, you know, the city and the scene. That's right. Um, that's right. But you, you know, it was, <laughs> you were familiar with it from birth. So. Right. And, but, you know, that said also, New York's always really been where I wanted to be. I lived in Boston for a few years, like two years. Um, and, but I always was coming back here. Mm-hmm. And, um, I don't think I've ever really wanted to be anywhere else. You know, it's, 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 you know, so as hard as it can be, it's it's still like it's an engine that just drives everything. You know. Yeah. Um, and I like it's you know I get to travel a lot playing music, and there's so many great places in the world to to go. And I I can imagine living in a few other cities. I could see how that could be fun and, and interesting. But anytime that I'm away from here for more than a, a few weeks, I'm like I, I'm itch- I'm itching to get home. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for as difficult as it can be, it still is an incredible place. And I, and, and like I said, it, it, there's, there's just so much great music happening here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you get these influxes of, of new people and people leave and they come back for, I think maybe for similar reasons as I was just saying, like right. they got you know, feel like they have to be here. And it's a, it's a, yeah, it's an incredible spot. Yeah. It's, it seems like it's uh, just constantly constantly being revitalized and sort of shaken up by like like you said the the coming in and going out of of uh, various people in the in the music scene either on a permanent or temporary basis um, you know it's, it seems like it would be it would be hard to uh, be bored as a musician <laughs> <laughs> that's that's true in New York. any given night there's you know so much going on yeah and so many different kinds of scenes you know there's world-class of, of course world-class jazz every single night right. here if you want to see it there's amazing this that, that singer-songwriter scene that i was mentioning earlier is as vibrant as ever mm-hmm. you know there's you know any kind of music you can think of amazing latin music you know african music yeah i could go on and on it's really anything that you can think of it's here mm-hmm. which is what that's why new york is new york right you know it's right. just it is that melting pot of culture yeah and it's it's still that despite the the increase in cost of living over the last 10 or 15 years and the difference between you know what it was in the 70s and what it is today there there are still uh you know basic truths about what new york is and what it's made of yeah and i'm biased i mean i'm I'm never gonna you're not gonna hear me (laughs) talk bad about this place as hard as it is as cold as it can be it's you know it's it's i love it yeah you know yeah yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's hard to argue with that if it's, if it's home and, and, uh, <laughs> you know, if, if, uh, what you love about it outweighs, uh, stuff that sucks about it, then that's absolutely the end of story. Yeah. You stayed in New York, even, even for college. This is, I, 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 I'm, I just can't get over the fact that you are you are so New York. Like you are New York <laughs> through you were born there, raised there, you went to college and grad school there, right? Or yeah. 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 And and you just you live there. So your college experience was was NYU and New School. Right. Right. I guess we'll I guess we'll call New School grad school because they didn't have a masters at that time. Right. Uh, but I wanted to continue doing a music education 
because my my NYU uh, I mean was playing music all the time. I actually studied with some really fabulous people over there. Mm-hmm. But my degree was actually a, a liberal arts degree. So oh, when okay. I graduated there, I wanted to continue and do a little bit more focus on music. So I, I went to the new school for a couple of years, and it was really sort of a program I designed for myself because I didn't feel that I needed a second bachelor's. Right. Certainly not in jazz performance. I don't know that that would do anything for me. So <laughs> um, I was like, I'm, I went part time for a few, a couple of years, and just did the stuff that I wanted to do. I did. I took ensembles and I took lessons and I played a lot with a lot of people yeah and um you know I took some music theory stuff and, and things like that right um and that was an amazing experience uh, I'm really glad that I did that um yeah you know, talk new- about talk about how like what the new school is and and how it differs from uh like a, a traditional university or even a, a traditional music school well, I'm not sure how well I can speak to the differences because I didn't go to any, like a more traditional place. Right. But my experience with it was that uh, most importantly, the teachers there were phenomenal. I mean, essentially, they were. I mean, there there are teachers who were there every day. Like at the time, I'm not even sure who's the director now, but you know, Reggie Workman was the musical creative director mm-hmm. at the time, and so he was there all the time. I mean. And, you know, people like him and Junior Mance was there mm-hmm. at the time. Actually, just a little story. I, remember, I took a blues ensemble with Junior Mance. <laughs> and sometimes they would have more than one drummer in these classes, which generally was kind of a drag because you wouldn't get to play the whole time. Yeah. But in that. his class, in his class, it was so cool because he would play piano. And so when I wasn't playing, I would just sit and sit right next to the piano and really check him out. Mm-hmm. He was mostly comping, you know what I mean? Because he wasn't there to solo for us, but he would just, he, and just even just listening to him comp yeah. was so, so that was the best lesson as a class. I'd rather do that than even play sometimes because yeah. it was, I mean, the guy was genius. Um, you know, but aside from the teachers who were there, so, you know, so, you know, so it's like Junior and, and Reggie and uh, Joe Chambers was there and mm-hmm. Diesel McBee and, um, I mean, there's a, a the list goes on. There's a lot of great people who were there on a regular basis, but also, essentially, the the um, policy was, as I understood it, was if you could find somebody and contact them, they you could take lessons with them, right? And you just had to arrange for them to get paid through the school, right? And that's that's what's so cool about the new school. It's not like here's our faculty, pick one, or right. here's here's your teacher go it like the new school is like fine go out there and find who you want to learn from and yeah that makes them new school faculty <laughs> well and that's in their interest too because then they can add them to that list right? right then there's suddenly the list grows and grows and grows and you know so like i i took a i took a few lessons with like ben porowski mm-hmm. which was really interesting and i took um i took a couple lessons with with um jimmy cobb which was phenomenal just uh-huh. to even just meet him yeah and um, studied a bunch with um, John Riley. He was yeah. sort of my main teacher when I was at New School, and then also with um, with Billy Hart. Uh-huh. You know, so like that's the thing. Another thing about being in New York and the New School is that they're all here. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. these guys are here. They're working. They're living. They have families here, and you have access to them. You know, and it's you can't beat it. It's right. just you know. So what I was able to sort of glean from spending time with those guys and then also all the playing that I was able to do over those couple years and the practicing that I was able to do 
over those couple of years, it was it took my playing and my confidence level to a whole other place, and that really helped me to go out into the professional world, if you want to call it, just feeling at least like I really had put the work in or started. I mean, of course, I've continued to work for, since then, but you know, I I had a, a foundation from those couple of years that I've taken with me since then. It was really, um, yeah, very, very useful. Yeah. Um, how long did you spend at the new school? So I was there for like two, two and a half years. Um, okay. And did that, and result like I, in, did that result in a degree or was that just kind of a period of intensive, uh, learning for you? Like, yeah, that was for, like I said, I, I, at the time, if they had had a master's, I would have gone for it, mm-hmm. but they didn't have one then. So I just, I, I sort of crafted my own program, if you will, out of it as, you know, the, the, the teachers I wanted to get with the, the classes I wanted to take. And I just went really intensive into the, into it like that. And then at the time, you know, I don't remember why I decided to stop when I did. I, there must've been a specific reason, maybe money, mm-hmm. but, um, and well, for whatever reason, at that point, I was like, I felt like I had gotten what I needed to get. And I, you know, just started and I was doing it while I was there too, gigging and working and teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. And in a lot of ways, basically just been doing that since I left. I've just been, you know, playing various gigs and I do a lot of teaching, privately teaching in the city. And um, mm-hmm. and the touring has been more more over the last, you know, I don't know, decade or so than it was at, at first. And right. Well, it's, it's interesting what you said about about you know just spending spending that time and and the, the confidence that came as a result. Um, I I have a friend here in Atlanta named Kelly McCarty who's a great bass player, um, and I was interviewing him to to write his bio um, for his website, and he talked about a similar period in in his life in in grad school when it was just intensive, shedding, learning, growing. Yeah, um, and he he talked about how you know there. You can you can be confident because you have a lot of gigs. You can be confident because people tell you you're awesome, or you can be confident because you just have a big ego and you think you're awesome. But but right. there's, there's nothing like the confidence that comes from putting in the time. Right. Well, I'll tell you. I mean, I can give you the, the one or two specific stories where that really changed for me. Yeah. So at that time, I'd been playing. I'd been work, you know practicing all this stuff all those years. But I was in at NYU and and stuff. And and the first semester or so at a new school, I would say I was pretty paralyzed with fear. I was always <laughs> worried all the time I was going to make a mistake. I'd, you know, be in some ensemble and just think I'm terrible mm-hmm. and uh, just didn't feel, I felt like a fraud. I mean, I think everybody's felt <laughs> that way at some point or another, you yeah, know, yeah. and there were two instances that I really felt like that turned around and I don't know which came first. But I'll tell the Jimmy Cobb story first. I was I took a lesson with him, and I was sort of doing the fanboy thing a little bit because I was nervous. And mm-hmm. I was like, man, uh, you know, remember that time when you played on Kind of Blue? You know, like that, that, that kind awesome. of thing, that kind of deal. And he yeah. was, you know, he, I'm sure he's heard that a million times. But, I, as, you know, I was able to get a question out, you know, and I was trying to ask him something about his ride cymbal technique. Uh-huh. Essentially, I was like, how did you come, how did you develop that technique? And he basically looked at me and he was like, I don't know. He was like, I just did it. I had to play. I played every night. I had to do, I had to play every night. And I, I just, I just did it. And it was sort of like a, 
like a demystifying moment for me where it was like, okay, there's no secret. There's no like magic spell or whatever that makes somebody great. You just have to do it. You got to put the work in. And if you do and you, and you have some talent also, Mm -hmm. you know, then it will, it will, it'll come out. Mm -hmm. And I really, something about the way he delivered that to me really struck a chord. Yeah. And the other moment was a, uh, a master class I, I went to with uh, Joey Barron, great drummer. Yeah, yeah. Um, where he, you know he does he does all kinds of fun, crazy stuff like you know playing with chopsticks and right, right. And, uh, you know whatever. But he he was he basically he played a bunch for us, and then he you know he said something to the effect of, "Has anybody in here ever felt like a fraud?" And he basically was, and you know, a bunch of the braver people rose, raised their hands, but most people didn't. And he was essentially like, "If you're not raising your hand, you're lying." <laughs> Everybody's always felt like they suck, yeah. and they should just give up, and and um, that's part of it. And you know, and then he was like, "But then what you got to realize is, if you have a bad night, if you're gigging and you and you sound terrible, or you think you sound terrible." First of all, nobody got hurt, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> nobody, nobody died. It just maybe it's a drag, and he's like, and he said something that was funny. He was like, you know, sometimes I I feel like I'm having a bad night, and I'll just sort of like sit back and listen to to myself in the moment and be like, this is this is bizarre. I'm having a bad night. This is this is what what does this feel like? This is funny, you know. This is right. a weird feeling. But essentially, he was like, if you fuck up, so what? Yeah. And like something about that also, especially at the time when I was, you know, in Reggie Workman's Coltrane Ensemble or something, and I felt like if I play a wrong note, you know, I'm disgracing the memory of John Coltrane or something, you know. <laughs> he was like, it was like, no, if you if you have a bad day or you, or you don't sound good, or again, I'll stress, you think you don't sound good because right. it's always inside your head. Yeah. It doesn't mean anything. It's just, you know, you're not hurting anybody. You're just, mm-hmm. it's part of the process of whatever it is that you're trying to do. And the only way that you can truly screw up, I think is if you just, if you quit, Yeah, you know, as long as you keep working through that, working towards something. Right. um, I I think if you quit or if you don't give a shit is the other way you can. Yeah, sure. If if you just, you know, don't respect whatever gig you're on or whatever musicians you're playing with. Right. um, That's yeah. So yeah, those two, those two were real lightning bolt moments for me. It was like, you know, and they, and they happen within a short period of time of each other. So it was like a real education. You know, that's what school, you hope it is. Right, right. Um, you know, you know, so yeah, the, I don't remember where we started with that, but that. Well, yeah, just, uh, I mean, we were talking about the new school in general, but, but you know, the just the confidence that, that comes confidence, from putting in yeah. the work. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's really no substitute for, I mean, and when we say putting in the work, we, you know, we talk about shedding alone in the practice room and, you know, getting experience playing. Um, but like, like Jimmy Cobb was saying, uh, a lot of, I think a lot of what is good about our playing, um, happens like there's, there's no way to like shed it for a week and then you're done with it. I think no. it happens over a much longer period of time and, and sort of forms itself without us even really trying or really thinking about it. It's not like we sit down and say, uh, you know, like we take notes, like I'm going to do this step, then this step, then this step, and then I'm going to have this skill. Sometimes right. it works out that way. But I think, I think what you're talking about, especially with Jimmy was like, 
it just it just happened. Like I played a bunch of gigs and I had to figure out how to you know do this ride symbol or do whatever you're talking about. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it just manifested. Yeah, absolutely. When you're not on the road with Lee, what are some of the other things that keep you busy in New York? Well, I, my family. It's amazing. I, I, <laughs> that'll, I have, that'll keep anybody busy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got two young kids, which is, you know, an amazing thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, it's a lot of work. And, um, you know, I think one of the challenges that I have now in in my sort of day-to-day when I'm not on the road is um, balancing that family life with uh, – practicing yeah. and and um trying to stay working and mm-hmm. you know doing all the stuff that it, you you want to do to stay you know feeling good on on the instrument and and all that stuff but also you know you got to do all the other stuff yeah um but then also yeah and i guess maybe more <laughs> you were asking about like what other kinds of work i'm doing here well i mean what whatever like we we like to talk about on this podcast one of the things we really like to do is is not just get a sense of somebody's professional life but also their personal life and how Mm. how you know in your case kids and being a new york drummer (laughs) intersect and and coexist yeah well it is it's it's all intersecting all the time (laughs) (laughs) you know and you know finding hours and time during the day and week to uh to do all the things that one wants to do is, is, is a constant hustle and juggle. Yeah. Um, in some ways I like it because it, you know, if I have, you know, a two or three hour chunk to go do some work, go practice, go, you know, work on something, it's very, it's much more limited than it ever was before. Right. So now you really have to try to be extra diligent about making it productive time. Right. Um, focused time, focused practice, um, and I fail at that all the time, but sometimes it works. You know what I mean? It is, it's, and it's a constant pu- push and pull, yeah. you know? And I would uh, imagine the same is true on the opposite end. Like when you're spending time with the kids, like you got to be there and be present and make that time. Uh, absolutely. And actually, but some, in some ways that's easier because it's like, I, there's no, you know, you, there's no checking out, right. Uh, <laughs> you know, when you're walking down the street in Manhattan with the, uh, you know, with a two and a half year old, man, you know, you got to stay, you got to be, you got to be there. So yeah. in a lot of ways it's like, it's a relief because it's like, this is just what I'm doing today. Right. right. There's nothing, you know, that doesn't mean I can't have music on and, and have a good time, but it just means that I'm not, I can't do that other thing because I'm doing this. So right. that's what it is. But when I have time right. to myself, that's when it's like, Oh, I got to do 15 things. <laughs> Which one am I actually going to do right. right now? You know, that's uh, so in some ways it's easier when you have limited options. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's interesting about like, you know, when you say you don't, you don't have a choice, like when I'm spending time with the kids, it's, it's, um, you you don't have a chance to be distracted by something else really. And, and, um, I don't, I don't have kids, but in, in being married, um, I've, I've kind of experienced the same thing where like, I, you know, I'm, I'm spending, I'm spending time with my wife today. I'm going on a date with my wife tonight Mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm, you get to, you get to kind of let yourself off the hook. Right. Uh, right. For, you know, whatever thinky bullshit is going on in your music world. It's like I, I, I've experienced the same thing where I found it easy to just right. focus and, and be present in that time. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, exactly. The the limitations are, are good, I, I think. Yeah. actually, And I and I, you know, I have a lot of friends and not just musicians, but artists in New York who are 
some of them are single, some of them are married. Mm -hmm. Many of them, most of them don't have kids. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's always interesting. I I always feel like change is good. Mm -hmm. You know, a big change, like having a kid is obviously a a big thing, a big life change. But it forces you to, to readjust your priorities. It forces you to readjust your time management, all the stuff that we're talking about here. Yeah. And I think even though it can be difficult, I think in the end, it's always a good thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you, ch- you just change your perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be anything small from just changing the angle of your practice room and, you know, the put things on the other side of the room. It's going to change your perspective. Now that's a, that's a minor example. Yeah. A major example would be, you know, having a family, <laughs> but when you do that, it forces you to, to look at things from a different place. Mm-hmm. And I think generally speaking, that's almost always a good thing. Yeah. Um, Cause getting complacent or getting stuck in one place can be really, um, can be really stifling. I mean, I don't know, maybe some people work well, with consistency, but I feel like change is good for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure that's one of the reasons you thrive in New York. Um, because I, yeah. think, I think there are musicians who, who, um, who do crave consistency and, and, and will thrive in a much more structured sort of consistent, uh, environment, whether it's musically or, or professionally, you know, some, mm-hmm. some musicians seek out very secure, you know, permanent or semi-permanent gigs, like, like, right. you know, playing in an army band or something like that. Sure. Sure. Um, but well, that's interesting. Cause I feel like for me, I mean, I had some gigs like this league gig that's been going on for a long time. And, and, uh, it's nice when you get a gig that's, that feels consistent, but I'm almost always very aware of the, of the feeling like things don't always, they don't last, Yeah, you know? And that's not a, that's not a bad thing. That's just, I think that's just, the nature of things. I mean, things change and I'm, I'm often try to be very aware of that when I'm in a situation that I really am enjoying, you know, whether it's the league gig or some other gig that I'm doing where it's like trying to really appreciate it as it's happening because you have to realize that this gig, or maybe even it's just this configuration of people who happen to be in the room right now. It's just, it's not going to be permanent. Even if it lasts for 10 years, that's not permanent. Right. And so you know, trying to be appreciative of that and really, you know, be present in the, in the, not just the music, but the hang and the, right. And, the, um, and just the feeling of, of whatever that is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so we talked about, you know, family and all that stuff. What about, what about your, your musical life in, in New York? Uh, also changing all the time. I mean, this last year has been interesting because I, for the first time I actually did a, a bunch of Broadway work. Oh wow! Cool. Um, which uh, was very cool and really unexpected. I um, so actually it was about a year ago. Yeah, Memorial Day last year was when I got a call from uh, this drummer named Ben Clement or Benoit Clement. He was the drummer on the um, the Cirque du Soleil Broadway show. Uh-huh. It's called called Paramore. And um, so the cir- circus from. You know, Montreal, so he had moved down here to do this show, and a good buddy of mine, um, Ben Campbell, is the bass player on the show. Mm-hmm. So he had given Benoit my name, and he needed a sub. So he called me up, and um, it was the funniest thing, because I've never... Some people, you know, musicians, but certainly actors, that's like their life goal, right? They want right. to get, get to Broadway. I never... Even growing up here, I never really thought much about it. Mm-hmm. Um 
And here I am, you know, sort of through the back door without even <laughs> without without really an audition. I mean, he looked at some clips of me playing with Lee, actually. Uh-huh. And he was like, yeah, if you're interested, come on down and sit in the pit and, and check it out. Uh, so I did. And I went down there and, and checked it out. And it's um, it was a really cool show. Mm-hmm. Really different from anything that I've ever done. Um, and you know, spent about three weeks really shedding the music and, yeah. and, and learning the book and um, challenging. One of the extra challenging things about it was it's uh, you're playing with these acrobats, right? So you have to accent certain things that they do and it's not in time right. most of the time. You know, right. you're playing a groove and then they jump and they land and you got to hit with them. But it's, you know, it might be in the middle of the bar somewhere and it doesn't right. really make right. any sense, but you have to, you got you to catch it. Um. And there's no way to really practice that. You can't, you know. Yeah, it's a little bit different every time. Yeah. Or and you know, and there's no rehearsal. I mean, this is one of the things oh, I learned about Broadway, or at least this Broadway show. I think it's the same on a lot of them. They don't. They, you know, they gave me the book. You gave me the the recording of a recording of the the show that they had made, mm-hmm. and um, essentially, my first time doing it. Not essentially, my first time doing it was a, a sold out show on a Saturday night. And they were basically like, "Here is a forty. It's a forty million dollar production. You're completely at the center of the whole thing. <laughs> Have at it." And I was yeah. like, "I was like, okay, you know." And it went well. It went well enough that they asked me to come back. I guess right, so. Right. That I was cool. A, a, a friend of mine had a, a similar experience. He's the the keyboardist for Katy Perry, and mm. um, he got that gig. I guess two years ago or two and a half years ago. But it was it was the same thing. Like there was not really a rehearsal. He got a sound check. Right. And in, in the months leading up to that, you know, of course, he was sent charts and MP3s and Ableton files and videos and, and all this shit he needed to just learn the show. But he showed up in, I don't know, Brazil or somewhere and, right. <laughs> and, and just did the show for the first time, you know. Yeah, I don't think it's an uncommon story. You know, like you said, I think that kind of thing happens all the time. And that's, you know, I mean, that's what happens also with experience and and practicing and and, you know, it is a language that we speak, you know? Yeah. And you know, the, the, the exciting thing about that situation for me was I had never done anything like that. I mean, some people right. did the high school stuff. I didn't, I never done any of that stuff. Right. You know, I can, I can read. And, but at that point I had memorized it anyway, mm-hmm. you know, just listening to it for those few weeks that I was actually, it was lucky because Lee had a lot of gigs on the, that month leading up to when I had to do it. Mm-hmm. And um, so we were on the plane constantly um so i just listened to it on the on the flights yeah and basically memorized everything yeah yeah um i have a similar a similar process for like learning learning new stuff like if you know if if i if i have zero time and i have to write out charts and and just give myself every possible um safety net then then that's what i do but ideally if i have time i i like to just listen to it over and over don't yeah. worry about playing along with it. Don't worry about making a chart. Just listen and internalize and memorize. And I, like, yeah. I found that's the best way to just feel good about what you're playing and feel. I agree. And then because then it's music, right? You hear it. You start to hear the, that stuff. Actually, that's something that and I keep talking about all these great teachers that I had. But uh, Billy Billy Hart taught me a lot about that. Actually, when I studied with him, I think I went to his place once or twice, and we played drums at his place a couple times. But most of the time we would just basically hang out. I drove around in his car with him <laughs> and, but he would do that. He like, I remember particularly one night he had a gig at the blue note with the singer and, um, 
we just drove around all day that day uh, listening to the music. And he would point out things to me here there every once in a while, like, oh, yeah, there's that section. I got to remember that thing or whatever. Yeah. Um, and as that was, he's, he's internalizing it as we were just sort of hanging out and talking and listening. And um, yeah, that's, and I've continued that philosophy for sure, going forward, learning music, listening. And um, I will also do that, what you're saying. I'll, I'll make little shorthand notes for myself, you know, mm-hmm. so I can remember what the, what the groove is going to be. Yeah. Or, um, you know, tempos and, and things like that. Right. But, um, are you still doing the Broadway thing? Or are you still doing Cirque? Well, unfortunately, cl- the show closed uh, oh. a few weeks ago. Okay. Um, it's kind of a drag, but they're hoping to reopen it. So if they do, I'll do that. In the meantime, I'd love to do more Broadway stuff. Now that I've done it, it's kind of, it's really, it's cool. Right. You know, it's it's like, uh, it's you know, the union is a, is a thing. I've never mm-hmm. really, I had to join the union to do it. So yep. that was cool that yep. that was, um, and it's, you know, I mean, I don't really have problems with getting paid from other gigs that I do, but it's nice to have a gig where it's a paycheck that comes every, you know, after, uh, you know, the week after you did the show or, or two weeks or whatever. Right. And it's, it's all itemized. You know I mean? There's yeah. something about that. That's nice. It feels like extra legit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and um, and it's. <clears throat> I live in Manhattan, so it was, it was. I would ride my bike up to the theater. I'd have to bring. I brought. I would bring my stick bag, but basically, didn't have to bring anything if I didn't want to. It's That's all so cool there and set up, and you you know you go in through the stage door, and yeah, it's like you clock in. You your gig is you know it's like a job in a in a way that it doesn't. It feels more like clocking into a to a, to an office gig or something because yep. you go and you. This is your my little sound booth was in under the stage and you mm-hmm. go in there, you play for your three hours and then you go home. Yeah, I had I had the exact same thing. Well, not the exact same thing, but a similar thing. When I lived in L.A., I played at mm-hmm. Disneyland for four years, okay. um, and I didn't I didn't get to ride my bike to that gig. I had to drive an hour. To, uh, <laughs> it's uh, in traffic problem. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it was like you know you clock in, you do your shows, you clock out, you got your your break room set up. Everything is just there. Mm-hmm. And it felt, you know, more like a real job than uh, than anything I'd ever done before. And there, there is something cool and secure and and legit about it, you know. Um, Absolutely. I mean, of, you know, blue collar work ethic kind of kicks in for some reason. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, you know, I mean, I got to do it a bunch over the last year, and you know, meeting the other musicians was really interesting because some of those guys have been doing Broadway stuff forever, mm-hmm. um, and just like great guys and great and girls you know women and, mm-hmm. and great stories and great vibe i mean i don't know sometimes i guess you hear these horror stories about these people who've been doing these gigs forever and ever and they're super dark and right that wasn't my experience anyway you know mm-hmm. i these guys were everybody was really great and um i would like i said i would love to do more hopefully that show will open again yeah or or maybe some other thing i mean it's funny because like i said i did come into it completely backwards so right. i have some you know I met some, made some friends on that show, but it's not like I'm deep into the Broadway scene. So sort of like keep my eye open about if there's any other opportunities. But. Yeah. I was, I was going to ask like, what was your sense of, uh, you know, cause like you were, you were playing a show on Broadway, but it, it was Cirque du Soleil. It was, right. you know, an outside company and the same thing with Carter. Like he's playing the lion King on Broadway. But yeah, he's, he's a Disney employee. Yeah, um, yeah. So is, you know, did you, did you find some kind of inroads into, into the rest of the Broadway world and just outside the Cirque du Soleil bubble? I mean, I certainly met a bunch of, of, of folks over there and, you know, and it's, but it's, 
I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure. I'm still figuring that out. I mean, like I said, I, I spent a bunch of time up there this year, but it wasn't my daily gig. Right, so right. Um, I would sort of come in and out, and it was very, you know, when I came in, it was great, and but then I would leave and go on the road or whatever and not mm-hmm. see these guys for a few weeks or months and then go back. So I have the, the connections that I made there, but like you said, a lot of that is a Cirque thing, and it is a bit different, even though they were trying to do a a real Broadway show. I mean, it was Cirque du Soleil, but it was a Broadway show. Like they had a, they had dialogue and a plot and it was like a, you know, yeah. it was sort of like, it was like a Broadway show. And then there were people doing flips and shit all over, all over the state <laughs> at the same time. I mean, it was, you know, it was, I think people enjoyed, enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I but, actually have not seen a Cirque du Soleil show anywhere yet. Like I had never seen it either. And to be honest with you, I still haven't because I never actually saw the show. <laughs> From the house, right, I just right. I saw it from the booth, and you know he had these. We had these monitors in the booth so we could watch the acrobats do their thing. But I'd never actually stepped foot inside the house. Wow! Um, not that I couldn't. I just at a certain point I hadn't done it yet, and I was like, you know what? I'm not. I'm just not going to do it. Right. I'm not going to. I'm not going to go up there. I'm going to stay down here. Right. I'm not going to give myself more to think about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Man, thanks. Thanks so much for talking with us. It was great to great to get a snapshot of uh, Evan in New York. I appreciate it, man. I, you know, looking at the list of guys you've had on, I'm really honored to be included. So thank you for reaching out. Appreciate absolutely, it. absolutely, man. Uh, be well. We'll be uh, we'll be on the lookout for what you're up to. Everybody, go see Lee Fields. If Lee Fields is anywhere near you, go see Lee Fields and the Expressions. You will not be sorry. Right on. Thank you. Be well, man. Okay. Bye. Peace. Solid drummer, solid dude. Really enjoyed talking with Evan. He struck me as someone who, despite the craziness of New York, or maybe because of it, is able to keep his feet on the ground and maintain a good perspective about his playing, his career, and his family life. Not easy to do anywhere, let alone New York. Once again, check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash workingdrummer. We appreciate anything and everything y'all can contribute to help support our efforts. Check us out next week when Matt Krause will be presenting an interview with Nashville studio legend Milton Sledge. Thanks to Mike Jackson for his technical assistance, and thanks as always for listening. Cheers.